1: Hello, everybody, and welcome to The Promised Land, a show about Manchester United. and part of the 90 Min Podcast Network. I'm Scott Saunders, joined as ever by Rob Blanchett, and we had a comment on our recent YouTube video saying that somebody lives for that opening line. I did actually try and put a little bit more emphasis on it, but we had to retake. In, the, in It's WrestleMania weekend, everyone. I'm not sure if you like wrestling. You probably don't. Rob and I have just discovered that we both do uh and so I tried to give it a bit of oomph unfortunately this is the second take because I did it I did it, put a little bit too much emphasis on it and it would have ruined your ears uh Rob it ruined yours didn't it
2: yeah you went a bit Vince McMahon but turned up to 10 so I, li- I liked the kind of the uh the stage presence and I liked mm. the delivery and I like the oomph out the gate Scott but you know this is a, a 90 this is a race isn't it for like an hour so we've got a kind of just taper it a little bit and make sure that our audience are not completely scared of what we're saying.
1: Yes, very, very sorry about that, Rob. Uh, <laughs> I'm just trying to find now. Uh, I've been watching the show ever since its inception, and I can confirm that I now require twice a week a twice a week dose of Scott's voice saying "Hello and welcome to the Promised Land," the podcast about Manchester United. Blah 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 blah. Uh, I respectfully disagree on a lot of points. Of Justifications mentioned on this platform, <laughs> but it's amazing to see the, how the podcast has found a place in our weekly listens for this period of time. Big kudos. Uh, and that's good.
2: That's good. Like, it's, it's okay to disagree, isn't it? I think we've always said it on this show that we're not always right. You know, that's We're not one of those channels, I think, or one of those podcasts where we just want you to believe everything we say and that we're always right. You know, There's a lot of that content out there. But we like to have the conversation, don't we? We like to be able to discuss Manchester United in maybe a more salient way.
1: Well, we are right about the debt uh, and the ownership uh, part, like most Manchester United fans are. There's been some financial results released earlier this week. We'll talk about that today. Sir Alex Ferguson has been inducted into the Premier League Hall of Fame. I'm keen to get your thoughts on how this Hall of Fame process works, Rob, because I think it's... Obviously, Sir Alex deserves his place in there, um, but we'll talk about that in a second. We'll talk contract renewals as well. Ra- Marcus Rashford, David De Gea. We'll talk uh, potential news on Garnacho. And we'll look ahead to the Newcastle game. Can Scott McTominay continue his goal-scoring form from the base of midfield? <laughs> Which is might be where he's going to end up playing. Uh, but yeah, you can subscribe wherever you get your pods. Apple, Google, Spotify, etc. And we run twice a week as well on YouTube. Tuesdays and Fridays usually. So head over to the channel. Like, subscribe. Leave a comment for us as well. And follow us on Twitter. We are still there. At underscore Scott Saunders, at underscore Rob underscore B and at promise and MU for the show as well. We've had nearly two weeks off, Rob, of uh, club football. And uh, some United players have used it to rest and recuperate. We await as we record this Eric Ten Hag's press conference ahead of the Newcastle game for the fitness of Christine Erickson, although, although I don't think he'll be back yet. And Anthony Martial, who surely (laughs) surely has to be back in contention now but uh yeah we'll talk about the newcastle game a little bit later on in the show but let's let's open up with the sir alex hall of fame not too long a section really i think this is just a foregone conclusion as soon as the premier league was going to release a hall of fame quick word on sir alex rob
2: the greatest ever thank you sir alex for coming to us from aberdeen And taking us out of the doldrums into somewhere else. It's funny, isn't it, with success? Because again, now, like, again, when we do our content, we talk about Manchester United. There's so many fans now that don't remember the Sir Alex era. Like, that's why you and me are old, Scott, because we do remember those bits. And we do remember getting out of bed every day and expecting to win. That was how it was. We just expect to win. And that's what it is. And when we lost, it would be like, Oh, we've lost one in 30. Oh, no, the world has fallen in and collapsed. And the last 10 years have been very different. But let's just say this on Sir Alex and also on the Hall of Fame. Hall of Fame is very kind of American sports. They love it over there. That is a real big thing, Hall of Fame. You get your induction. You know, we just talked about WrestleMania there. They'll be doing their own kind of like Hall of Fame for WWE. It's a big thing. Over here, not so big, is it? Not as kind of... Not the same kind of interest, but let's be honest. Sir Alex should have been the first person in any Hall of Fame in the Premier League. He defines the Premier League era, 13 titles. And just I always think, just grateful that we had him as our manager for so long and we had that sustained period of success.
1: Yes, indeed. Uh, I actually watched last night the overlap. Gary Neville speaking to Ruud van Nistelrooy. Really good watch, actually. Plus, I don't know if you've ever listened to Ru Van Iseroy over about a 50-minute period of him talking. He has the most calming voice I think I might have ever come across. Really. He speaks very softly. Wasn't really... We've we seen him lose his temper here and there uh, down the years. Uh, he was telling stories about Alex Ferguson and how he told him on the bench in the Carabao Cup final... Uh, the Carling Cup final, sorry, Uh 2006 i think it was remember that day where he didn't come on and he, he essentially said i told the boss i wasn't going to come on because he didn't bring me on and then by the end of the season he turfed me out that was mm. that's the kind of discipline <laughs> that sir alex ferguson instilled that eric is trying to rediscover that united have lost over the last 10 years uh which made that's well, just that one very small part of of the bigger picture but it's what made sir alex ferguson great
2: yeah, totally. I know we've all heard about the hairdryer, and I think any ex-Man United player that you've spoken to was has got a hairdryer story, you know, where Sir Alex said this, that, or the other. But I'll tell you this as well. All of those players will tell you how Sir Alex was more of a father figure. Like, he put his arm around them, he'd look after them. But like you just said there, and it was the same with Yaps Dam, is that it wasn't about your status in the squad. It was about your use as a player. And I like to preach that as well. If a player can't help you goodbye. Or if a player hinders you, goodbye. And I think with Ruud van Nistro at the end of that period, he'd kind of gone from a guy that Man United really looked after from the start when he was injured at PSV and came to the football club and did so well for us, but then actually became the problem at Man United, a little bit too big for his own boots and not helping United win trophies and titles. So... I think at the end of that period, I'll be interested to go back and listen to what Rude had to say, but it was a bit like that for Yap Stam, wasn't it? That Yap released that autobiography, gone, gone. And it wasn't about Yap Stam being a good footballer or not. It was about, did he affect the camp? And Fergie said, yes, he did. Off you go. Same with Roy Keane, same with so many ex-footballers, so many heroes gone. So yeah, I think that was what, what Fergie was good at. He was a shrewd operator in knowing when to sell a player.
1: Yeah, watch it. All this, yeah, watch it. It's, it's really good, really interesting. Uh, and Van Nistelrooy also gave the example of how he was treated because he was meant to sign the yeah. United a year earlier than he did. He, he said, I basically had a call. I could see Old Trafford and I had a call from the United physio saying, your knee is messed up. We can't do it. He went back to PSV. There was that clip, remember, of him yeah. breaking down, I screaming remember. on the PSV training pitch. So that happened just shortly after, and Sir Alex kept in touch with him for the duration of that year. He came yeah. back, played about six games, and then and then the move was done. And he obviously scored a ton of goals.
2: And and in that period as well, you got remember those knee injuries used to end careers. So I remember w- when it happened. I remember being I was only a kid, but I was so gutted because we'd been prepared through the the back pages of the of the tabloids that this guy was coming. He was going to be our next great big hope, you know, up top. And, of course, he did become that in the end. But that period when he did his knee, you know, in those days, that was it. You were done. Like, if you did your knee, there was no coming back from it. But yet, United said all the way, and Fergie said to him, no, go do your work and we'll come back for you. It might have been just to get in the player's head, maybe just to keep him motivated. But that's exactly what Ferguson did. And, of course, Van Nistelrooy came to
1: United, scored a ton of goals. Yep. We're not here to talk about Ru Van Nistelrooy anyway. But, yes, it's a good interview uh, with Gary Neville. Let's talk about the profits that United have made over the last financial period. 6.3 million. First time that they've made a profit since COVID hit. Mm -hmm. Although that's probably the best line of the lot. That's it. Um, Yeah, net debt has increased by 58 million because of the pound and its strength against the dollar. Yeah. Uh, And I think the big line that a lot of people are taking away from this, Rob, United released these financial results on Thursday, I believe. Uh, they also show that United owe 969 million pounds or 1.2 billion through a mixture of gross debt, the revolving credit facility, and out- outstanding transfer payments. Now I believe that their debt now stands at the gross debt now stands at 535 million pounds. Uh, hmm. and then they owe a few a couple of hundred million in outstanding transfer payments, and then they have also taken out. Yeah, they got a revolving credit facility as well, which adds to that total. And what do you make of it all, this Rob, in the context of the current situation? Obviously, the club is up for sale. I, I do in uh, quotation marks with my hand, but this is this really just goes to show how how bad this is, right?
2: Yes, and I think there is part of it is circumstantial. So, as you just said, they're about the the kind of fluctuation in the dollar, I think also in this country, we have huge implications with Brexit and things like that, and trade deals are one through another, and this has made things a lot more expensive in this country. That Some of the debt that Manchester United have carried for a long time has been kind of very normal for business. I know fans don't like it, and I don't like it, but it's not the same as maxing out your credit card as as I've described it in the past it's it's more about how can how can the business thrive now the problem for manchester united is that it's always going to have a marketplace where it can build there's always going to be merch a new shirt a new television deal a new something manchester united are the best at that that's what they are but there's a sustainability factor, isn't there? That, that when you carry this kind of debt or carry the kind of repayments that you have to do is that eventually that will eat into your transfer budget somewhere along the line. So I think this is why we are where we are in context is that the Glazers are looking at refinancing as their, I think their, their primary option is that someone can come in, take all that debt, spin it into asset, turn it into something else and make it something that they can then use to leverage against a new stadium. some more transfers, and to stay in power. Now, that's the last thing that United fans want to hear. But that is closer to the truth than anything else I think that's swirling around at the moment. Yes, Qatar got a lot of money. They would wipe the debt out and that would be done. And then you'd be in a kind of different cycle with a, a nation state, wouldn't you? So Jim Ratcliffe would take the debt and put it on Ineos. That and take it away from Manchester United and protect a lot of the United assets. Overall, I think when you look at these financial results, what it does show it's just a kind of pretty badly run business. Like this is a football club, but it's also how football itself runs itself, Scott. This is what our Premier League teams and teams from Europe tend to kind of operate is this kind of big chasm of debt, but it's manageable because you get 50 million quid just for turning up in the Premier League, you know, or you get 50 million quid just for playing in the Champions League. And then that all accumulates. New shirt deals, you then not play a sales. There's always ways of making money, that's kind of eye watering to all of us, isn't it, at the end of the day. But yeah, I, I think that, that these uh financial results show exactly why Manchester United run the open market.
1: No major updates since since we last recorded or no. since we've recorded as as we record this on what's happening with that bidding process. Uh I think yeah. there's been a lot of suggestions, obviously, that the Glazers would prefer to stay. I think that's been <laughs> maybe as Rob's been saying for a long time, uh, they preferred choice all along mm-hmm. uh, and maybe they're just playing playing clever uh, but we wait for updates on that uh, as the process develops but yes, it's not a good pitcher for Manchester United off the pitch at the moment and let's move into more financial stuff Marcus Rashford is obviously out of contract in 2024, uh, United and David De Gea, we'll talk about David De Gea in a second as well. David De Gea is out of contract this summer. Marcus Rashford was out of contract this summer before his contract was extended with the 12-month 12 12 month option that United mm-hmm. can, uh, can trigger. That's something that the club do in general. Yep. Marcus Rashford has come out this week to say this is nonsense because there was a piece in one of the British media which said Marcus Rashford wants £500,000 a week to stay at Man United and I kind of looked at that and I thought what <laughs> really I think to be fair the sub editors, sub editors might have stitched him up a little bit there but yes. uh, yeah I, I think that's what happened but uh Marcus Rashford it's not the first time that he's done this as well he's, he's he's come out in the past recent past actually and denied this he's fully focused on his football I think United will deal with it in the summer at the end of the season later weeks of the season and he will end up staying, but he does feel the need to come out and deny these rumours about how much he's demanding.
2: I'm glad he is, because I think that, that there is a, a sustained campaign against Marcus Rashford from certain quarters of the media. Like, let's not pretend. And I think that the only way you can do it is that when these things happen and they make big headlines and obviously that 500 grand uh, headline was huge news. I think you've got to to kind of communicate to your fan base and the people that that believe in you that it's a load of rubbish. Now, we do know that extensive uh, extensive, uh, negotiations behind the scenes are continuing and he's going to get well paid and he wants to stay at Manchester United. And I think that's kind of where you can leave it for there, you know, in terms of like the weeks ahead. Eventually, the club will announce the deal. This is not going to end up with Marcus Rashford demanding a transfer. And I think that when you talk about £500,000 a week, that is a tabloid headline being pushed by the same journalists and the same sections of the media that didn't like it when Marcus was feeding kids and didn't like it when Marcus wasn't scoring goals and didn't like it when Marcus was missing a penalty in Eurofino and all of that stuff. It's the same thing but just brought forward now into a successful period, isn't it? So I'm glad he came out and said that. And I would like more players to do that because we don't want to know negotiations. We just want to know what is the BS. You know, if someone is saying something that's a lie about you, get on your Twitter, get on your Insta, go and just just tell your fans that no, it's wrong. And you don't have to listen to it. And then maybe fans will understand that some of that stuff, there's an education process,
1: isn't it? That maybe some of those headlines are not true. I don't think this needs to be asked, but I will ask it anyway. You think Rashford will stay?
2: Yeah, he wants to stay. It's as clear and as clean as that. He wants to stay at Man United. He's a Man United fan and Man United are on the up. I do think, Scott, like when these conversations were done 18 months ago, around that period, that that there was a real chance that he might leave. There was a real chance he might leave because it felt like Man United were pushing him towards the door. Like, he wasn't scoring goals, was he? He wasn't being effective. But there was always this belief that if you get him fit and get him healthy, that he can get back to some kind of form. And now he's gone to a different level, is not he? Like, I've called him the best player on the planet in weeks and months gone by, because I do believe that's where his form sits. But it doesn't mean you give him half a million pounds a week. Like, that would be crazy anyway, crazy money. That's Ronaldo money, isn't it? But I do think that Marcus will be well paid, and I do think the remuneration for staying at Manchester United... You know,
1: Marcus... Marcus will be okay with the wage that's offered to him. It's also the point, as well, obviously, that United over the last ten years have, and everybody knows this. Is partly you can you can see it reflected in the latest financial results about the transfer payments that are outstanding, this kind of thing. The wages, as well, are massively overinflated. They have been for a number of years, so that it's not like United can just go out there and say, "Hey, let's let's set our our top bar at five hundred k a week." Yeah. It doesn't make any sense. If anything, they've got to bring it down. I know Rashford is probably well, he's going to be deserving of an increase in, in what he's earning. But you've got to redress the balance. And this is part of the reason why David De Gea's contract is taking so long as well, because David De Gea is on I think it's 375 a week or something like that. I'm not sure entirely how United's you know, failure to qualify for the Champions League has affected that number. But yeah. I think that's what it was. Um but casemiro's come in on a lot of money rafa varan's come in is on a lot of money ronaldo was there was on a lot of money and united have been even you can even see it in the lights of harry Maguire, um aaron bissaka these players are going to be difficult to offload because you pay them way way more than they should be yeah. uh they there's a big job here to address the structure of wages at the club Totally. And look, if you're Manchester United,
2: ultimately you're going to have a big wage bill. You can't get away from that because just because of the type of football club you are. However, if you have the biggest wage bill in football and you're not winning trophies and other teams who maybe are more prudent in their financial management and they do that and they win trophies, then you've got to look at yourself, haven't you? You know, I go back all the way, Scott, to when Ashley Young re-signed his deal. You know, this is a long time ago and he was on pushing 150. Yeah, and there wasn't one senior player at Liverpool on that money at that point. And this is actually, you couldn't really get in your team and you were re-signing him on that kind of money, 125 to 150. And yet, Liverpool are starting to win trophies with a load of guys in their midfield who are on 75 grand pushing to 100. Or or Ashley Young on more money than Salah and players like that and Mane. So those things don't make sense. That's where the reset has to has to come. For me, if you pay Marcus Rashford and you've got this version of Rashford moving forward, scoring lots of goals, being you know incredibly efficient at the top end of the pitch, pay him. Give him the money, give him the long-term deal and you're okay and you keep the player in your football club. Because the only thing you have to do, Scott, is if you don't like it, you have to go and buy someone on big money anyway. So sometimes it works that you renew a contract and you give someone that extra cash. But I think Man United just need to look at themselves a little bit more deeply in the mirror and make sure that the guys around the squad and into the depth of the squad are not earning crazy money and sitting on the bench.
1: Well, let's talk to David De Gea in that yeah. instance then. He's done an interview ahead of the Newcastle game, which we'll talk about in a second. I've been here many, many years, enjoying every moment in this club and playing many games. It's great to be here. I love the club and I'm really happy. It's been the same over the years. A lot of noise about everything in this club, but the players focus on games, especially the one on Sunday. Mm -hmm. It's a massive game for us. Uh, We we have to really care about training, recovering well, and the other team. That's more important than contracts or anything. He has... Where are we? In April. He has three months left on his contract. Mm -hmm. Uh, End of June, it currently expires. Reports this week, suggestions this week, that he's rejected a contract offer from Man United. Now, United do have an option in De Gea's contract to trigger, if they so wish, to extend his contract by a year. But we know that they're not planning to do that because they need to address the amount of money that De Gea is on and the status that comes with it. Obviously, I think when they gave him that contract, United were pretty much over a barrel in the sense that United had... De Gea, who was the best goalkeeper, probably the best goalkeeper in the world. One of them. Real Madrid had just come in and that was fax machine time, right? Oh no, this was before that. I think he's had another contract since, but yeah, obviously uh, that happened. Real Madrid tried, tried to get him. United had De Gea in their team at the peak of his powers. Probably was the most important player they had in the team. Player of the year consistently. Um and they could not afford to lose him, so that's why they find themselves in this position of having De Gea on uh, such a high contract. and the 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 plan here is to find an agreement with De Gea, which the club are happy with and De Gea is happy with, but a, as a reduction to what he's currently on. So De Gea's rejected the first offer, according to reports. Do you think this one is going to get done, Rob? What, what's the sticking point here? Is it just a case of how low can we go? <laughs>
2: Well, let's, let's start at the beginning. I think when David De Gea didn't go to Real Madrid and that eventually a year later triggered the big contract, I think David De Gea was the best goalkeeper in the world at that point. And I think that he he had a wage demand that fitted the best goalkeeper in the world at that moment in time. So I don't think United were wrong for triggering it then. I think when you look at it now, we can pick holes in David De Gea's game Every week, there'll be stuff that we like and we dislike. But the stuff that we dislike is kind of consistent, isn't it? We know the issue with his fee and distribution and all of that. That's become so much more important in the game now for goalkeepers. I think when you look at this now, I think De Gea refusing the first offer, it was pretty obvious. Why do I think that? It's because his form's so good, right? So his form has been good this year. He still makes the mistakes that we all see and we all talk about. But David De Gea, as more than anyone, really kind of proved that he's bought in, he'd like to stay. He said all the right things. He's very close to the manager as well now. So he's built this relationship with Ten Hag. But when we talk about a salary reduction, I think what we have to do now, and this is how it has to be sold, is that David De Gea is no longer the best goalkeeper in the world. Like, he isn't. He's still up there somewhere. But he has deficiencies. So the 375 that he's on currently, he really can't be on anything
0: like that. And I said to you off camera, it needs... Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.
2: To begin with a two. And in ideally, below a two, ideally, but it probably won't be. But I do think that David De Gea's uh, agents will be saying to him, if you carry on playing as well as you are, then actually if you did go on the open market and United are not willing to pay you, someone is going to pay you quite handsomely somewhere else. So I think that's where De Gea has to balance it. He's saying all oh, the right things, Scott. He does want to stay in Manchester, but you know he doesn't want to just throw away half his wage overnight or something like that. But I do think that's where United need to get mean on this and say to him, unless you fit a wage structure that is you know befits you now, this part of your career, then rather than give you 250 grand a week, we'll go and sign Rea from Brentford for £150,000 a week. Or we'll go and get uh, Robert Sanchez for that kind of money. Or we go and get Diego Costa, who now we know will be on the open market very soon. And you could pay him two hundred grand a week and have him for X man he is, and he can play with his feet. So all of these things, you see, you count off. So let's see what happens with David De Gea. I still do think that he will sign. I really do, because I think he wants to stay. And I think when a player wants to stay, like Marcus, eventually you come to an agreement. But I don't think Man United should be overpaying for David De Gea. I think if we get to that scenario where agents get involved, I think Man United should walk away. And that would be a big hug to David. Thank you for all of the years that you saved us because he did. I've often called him the best goalkeeper I've ever seen at Manchester United and I count him over Peter Schmeichel. I know a lot of people might agree with me, but I think he's done amazing over the years. And I think you've got to that point now where he needs to take a big salary reduction. Otherwise, you go and buy a new goalkeeper.
1: De Gea only has to really look at... I'll take Paul Pogba as an example. Hmm. Remember, um, like obviously, Paul Pogba left the club on a free transfer last yeah. last year. I think yeah. there was a time where Paul Pogba expected to move to Real Madrid or to Barcelona. Ends up going back to Juventus, who themselves are in <coughs> financial meltdown, in a sense. Yeah. And I think he's he's on a massively reduced deal in comparison yeah. to what he was on at United. So I think... De Gea probably understands that, that if he does leave, he'll get paid well, but not as well as even the new deal at United, perhaps. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I mean, you're expecting that one to get done, right?
2: Yeah, I think so. An interesting thing with Pogba, and just because uh, I think there's a good comparison with De Gea there, is again, when when he was touting for a new contract a few years ago, I said the same kind of thing. I was like, can you get a better central midfielder that does what Paul Pogba does? And this is, this is discounting injuries and all the things that have happened since. I was like, you probably need to pay him to keep him to then build round him. Now, of course, it went the other way, didn't it? Paul Pogba got injured all the time. I think the injuries are what kind of showed him the door. And this is why he had to be on a massively reduced wage when he went to Juventus. So things changed for him. But it was the right decision, wasn't it, for United to let him go on a free? And I think that's kind of where we are with David De Gea is that you kind of look at this and say, well, we would like to keep you on this wage because you still have use to us. Otherwise... No, you have to go and you can go and play somewhere else and he can finally go and sign for Real Madrid for free or something like that. But I think the truth is he's not going to get more money out of any other club equivalent to Manchester United somewhere across Europe. He'd get a good wage, but not more.
1: Mm -hmm. Let's move on. Quick note on Alejandro Garnacho injured at the moment. Uh, Suggestions just before we started recording that Garnacho will be called up to the under-20 squad for Argentina at the under-20 World Cup, which begins in May and obviously, the final day of the Premier League season is May 28th. If United make an FA Cup final, I can't. I don't know the exact date of that. But if United make a Europa League final, they could be without him. Uh, suggestions are, and this is just 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 been floating around. Uh, suggestions are that clubs are powerless to stop these players leaving. They are powerless
2: because if you're called up by internationals, but clubs are bound to let them to let them go. You cannot keep a player if they're called up by their country. It, it, it's it's a big potential problem for Manchester United because I think when you get to that end of the season, you know you look at the way the campaign's gone. You might need every point, Scott, squeezed out to the final game, and that means you need a focused Garnacho at your football club. And this is why we moaned about the World Cup and the scheduling and all of this, because it's completely messed up football at club level and international level. Uh, I just fingers crossed that Garnaccio doesn't want to go, because I think that's the key here, is that if Garnaccio would rather stay at Manchester United, he can have that conversation with Argentina. I get a feeling he might go, Scott. I think he'd like you know the platform maybe to go there and show what he can do uh, and kind of cap his season off. But at the same time, it's not a good look for him if he's leaving Manchester United at the, at the real moment, that the football club needs him.
1: Yeah, we'll, we'll maybe touch on that one as we get closer to the point. Just mm. a, a quick one to note. But let's look ahead to the Newcastle game. Uh, Sunday, 4.30 UK time. Difficult one, because I think Newcastle supporters will be well up for it. Newcastle have seemed to have turned a corner. Yeah. with uh, their recent form. Obviously, United beat them in the Carabao Cup final last month. Yeah, still last month, end of February, wasn't it? Uh, but we are just entering April on Saturday. Uh, United three points ahead of Newcastle on the same games at the moment. What, what's your What's your opinion on this one, Rob? Because I know that, obviously, United will go into this one planning and needing to win because they will need to win every single game to me this one is just don't lose
2: yeah and there's going to be a lot of that coming to the end of the season especially when you're playing teams in and around you and and I think the whole thing is about impetus now you don't want to give newcastle the impetus in the weeks ahead for them to say right we beat manchester united we beat them convincingly so we're on the chase i think newcastle's form has recovered a bit like we said a few weeks ago that they'd lost a few you know maybe a bit of focus and their their performances have waned a little bit they just, I think, have regathered that. Now Isaac's back in the fold. He's, you know, recovered from injury. He's at the top end of the pitch. You've seen that he's now starting games. Uh, and I think as well with Amaran, he, he kind of had a period where he injured. went off the boil and he's injured now. And it was about this. Well, they were still talking about possibly being fit for this game, possibly. though, I don't believe that he will be. So it's a case of let's see where, where you go with that. But in the weeks ahead, if, if he can come back at some point, he's going to be an important part of their jigsaw puzzle, isn't it? So I think Newcastle, you've got to give him a lot of credit. Because I think, again, Eddie Howe's done good stuff there in a short period of time. And the fact that they are Champions League contenders. But this is where you're right. Man United need to go there with a mindset of don't lose this one. Don't go there. Don't be, don't give too much away. You know, we know how Newcastle like to play. Newcastle would like to win the game 1-0. They're that kind of team, the way that they set up. But... It's about seeing Manchester United don't have an international hangover because we have seen that as well on the road, that when Man United come back from those international breaks,
1: sometimes they're not quite up to scratch in away matches. Uh, Just looking at Almiron information, uh, Eddie Howe has been speaking to the press on Friday morning. Yeah. And I said, he's making good progress. I think he's pain-free. I don't think there's any long-term issues. Um, It's just a case of how long it'll take for the muscle to fully heal. So I think we're four weeks off a comeback. So it looks like he, unless he's... Telling fibs, uh, I don't think Almiron will be featuring in this game, maybe slightly less than four weeks, but yeah, he's making good progress. Anyway, yeah. uh, you want to talk about Alexander Isak?
2: Yeah, I look, um, we're going to talk a lot about strikers at Manchester United, aren't we, in the weeks and months ahead, because of where we are with Ronaldo leaving, Harry Kane possibly coming, and all of that. Uh, Isak's player that I'm really high on, and really am like when Newcastle signed him, it was obviously a bit of a shock and surprise. I've watched a lot of him in La Liga over the years and in terms of his developing talent at Sociedad. And I, and I think he's kind of primed to be a superstar in the Premier League, I really do. I think he's an incredible player. Still in, in Sweden, people look at him and call him like baby Ibrahimovic. They, they believe he has incredible upside to his game and I believe that he has as well. So I'm just hoping, Scott, like his form has definitely been building and, and it correlates with Newcastle's building form. I just fingers crossed that he doesn't have a great day against Man United. Like We have to think about our own plays. We've talked about who starts Varane, where's Varane in terms of his fitness at the moment. You're going to need everyone in that back line fit and ready because I think Isak is, is ready to take Newcastle forward in these weeks ahead at the end of the season. And of course, they're a di- direct competitor with us. We've got to find a way of stopping him. Um, I can kind of see it's a, it's a big job for Lissandro that. Lissandro's going to have to stick to him, push him into the channel because he's he's a much less dangerous player when you push him away from the box but i think in the box he's as good as they come and i think he's massively underrated um who do you think will get top 4 rob i don't want to say that we're nailed on i don't want to say that you know you can you can forget about the arsenal and the and the city thing like they'll sort themselves out at the very very top but i do think it's precarious at the moment because these these games now they come at you thick and fast and you can lose for Brentford much. on Wednesday looks really awful. <laughs> exactly. So, like, I I think that this is when you look at the fixtures, they're not awful for Manchester United as a as a collective run of fixtures. Teams are going to drop points where you're surprised that they drop points. But I think overall, I do think Newcastle are really in the mix. Now, when you even we look at Spurs now, like Spurs were kind of teetering, weren't they? they? We're kind of getting in the top four, dropping out the top four, getting in the top four, dropping out the top four. Look at Liverpool. Liverpool's form's not massively recovered, but you wouldn't put it past them to literally go undefeated to the end of the season. You wouldn't because it's a mindset thing. Now, their form doesn't suggest that. So I still think that top four is all to play for. really, really do those teams in and around it. Man United have to be careful. So that's why this game is a must not lose. You know, yeah, win it. That would be fantastic. Go there, play well, take the points, even if you win one nil off. You know, Scott McTominay's backside, you'll take it every day of the week. That's three points. You've got to make sure in these games that you negotiate and navigate them correctly and make sure that you don't give it away. You know, like you don't want to have a great game and lose 1-0 because that could happen because this is all about now putting points on the board.
1: Yeah, I think United have got to take seven from these next three. They've got Newcastle away, Brentford at home in midweek next week and Everton at Old Trafford early on Saturday. Yeah. next weekend, I believe. and that Seven is as a minimum. Seven That's... points.
2: Yeah. You've got, you've got to look at it like that. So you've got to win all your home games, whoever you play, win all your home games, and you've got to negotiate the road. And I think United have been good on the road, but it's just about trying to make sure that around all the stuff going on with international breaks and one thing, another, and player injuries, that you just manage that squad effectively. So I believe in Ten Hag with that. You know, I think Ten Hag knows exactly what he's doing. He'll plan for each match accordingly. But... I think it's also about expectations This Scott, is that All our players have got to bring it now. There's no more excuses for these guys. They've had a good season. Don't mess it up at the end of the season going, oh, well, do you know what? We came fifth, but we won the League Cup. No, that won't wash. You know, top four, I think, is all important because you've got to be placed for next season in that Champions League. So, United, I think, third, have been comfortably third. Don't mess it up now just because you've got a tricky kind of run of games. Make sure that you're doing all the right things and that you're putting teams like Newcastle to the sword. Because even if you go there and beat Newcastle, Scott, that's a good look. Going forward, Newcastle will then lose a little bit of heart, maybe. Might look within themselves a little bit. If you can guarantee your top four, it'll make the end of the season a lot more comfortable.
1: They do not want to get dragged into that race for top four with Tottenham, Liverpool, Brighton... Newcastle new manager at Spurs potentially like I know obviously they're going to go with the
2: interim and that's the way they're doing but there'll be a lot of chat around it and there's going to be more Harry Kane talk and if Harry Kane doesn't score goals it's because he's lost form and wants to leave Spurs or if he scores every week because he loves Tottenham and wants to stay forever and sign a 10-year contract all of that stuff's going to play out isn't it Liverpool the ones I'm kind of secretly scared of Scott really are like not because they beat a 7-0 very recently but they are the team I think that if Klopp gets it right and their defence gets it right, that they can go on that run. They proved it a few years ago when they're in a similar scenario. So they've got a little bit of form for this, haven't they? have been able to recover when you think that they're dead. So they're the ones I kind of look at and think below, the, below us. You know, I hope that their form doesn't kind of turn <coughs> and ours doesn't go the wrong way at the same time.
1: Liverpool's next three is Man City away, Chelsea away, Arsenal at home.
2: Toughest run possible. So that that's why I was just saying about Man United in comparable terms, because ours looks... Bad to us, but that's a really bad run for Liverpool, isn't it? But Liverpool might get nine points out of that. Like, they really might, because they could just turn it on a dime. You just do not know. But I really hope, obviously, they lose all three of those games, because that will help us somewhere towards our top four aspirations.
1: United will have to get through those three games without Casemiro. Yes. Uh, And that brings us to goal-scoring machine, (laughs) Scott McTominay and... What does Eric Ten Hag do here? Because I think McTominay, for me, is... I think he... And I said this on the podcast when Casemiro got suspended in the first place. I think he will pick McTominay as that six. Whether it's the right choice, I don't know. But as we've seen over the international break, Scott McTominay, he ain't a number six. No. And uh, how badly do you think this will affect United? Or can can they get through these games with McTominay maybe it'd be Sabitzer maybe but I, I think he'll go for McTominay personally well, Sabitz had a knock so we don't know what
2: the fallout from he, that I is I saw pictures
1: of him in training He's, he was he is training yeah so he is fit
2: I wouldn't be surprised if we see something like this Veghorst up top because that's what happens every week Scott McTominay at 10 Bruno at 8 Sabitzer at 6 now, of course, some people are like, "Oh my God, no, no, thank you." Oh, what? Scott McTominay thinks that he's a forward; he really <laughs> does. He does think it, and and he always saw it. You know, he was as a kid, he was a centre forward, and he he's always talked about his sensibility in and around the box, and he's kind of proved it in the last week for Scotland. Now, I know a lot of Man United fans will not jump on that train. I don't hate
1: that, actually.
2: Exactly. You're right to not jump on that train. What I'm saying is do not be surprised if it happens because I think it's about how you use players now in an effective manner. Now, I don't think suddenly, out of nowhere, weeks on, that the manager's just going to start playing Bruno Fernandes as a 10 when he hasn't been playing him as a 10 for months, like as an an out-and-out 10. But then it depends what you're doing with the centre-forward, doesn't it? Because if Anthony Arshio comes back, and we don't know about that yet. Obviously, press conference today at 1.30 uh, uh, GMT, and we'll actually find out a little bit more about health there. BST. B- is it BST? Oh, we are, yeah. yes. We're in BST now, so don't listen to me. Yeah, we're, we're another hour forward. But if, if that happens and Anthony Martial starts playing as the nine and is fit, then you might see Bruno move back to the 10 because that is a good combination. It works really well for Man United. However, because you've still got this issue with Casemiro, you might ask Bruno to sit deeper and be the ball player because I'm happy with him doing the eight there, Scott, a bit deeper than I am Scotty. That's the truth. So I don't really want to see Scotty in defensive functions six and eights because that means very good at it. And I actually do think that in and around the box, he hits the target. He's quite confident. He's not better than Bruno Fernandes at scoring goals, but Bruno Fernandes might be better maybe it was a bit more control deeper. And I know I've said the opposite about Bruno in weeks gone by. But I think when you're juggling the balls and you're trying to find solutions, you know, the key is you get Casemiro back now as soon as possible, but you also get Christian Eriksen back as soon as possible. Because I think Christian Eriksen's the guy who gives you so much more options in midfield and allows your other players to then play in their more favoured positions.
1: By the week after next, United should have Casemiro and Christian Eriksen back. Um, but I wanted to... That's massive. Um, yeah. I wanted to just say two things eric ten hogs had two weeks to come up with something yeah so i'm sure he's thought about this and the obvious one to me was mctominay at dm but i think thinking about it ten hogs probably had he's probably going to come up with something wacky isn't he to, to plug this gap also context scott mctominay is playing for a transfer yes potentially and he's going to the ground that he could be playing out next season because I know that Newcastle won him. Yeah. Uh, just how how high can he drive his price? I, I jokingly tweeted the other day he's worth 100 million. Well, if he scores a hat trick, you know that will help. That will help. That won't it?
2: Um. Yeah. Scott McTominay is on the market as are several other Man United players. Um. I just think that you just said there about planning. Like the manager will have an idea for this. I think he might switch from this fourth. Four one five that we've seen all every week and we talk about all the time to a more defined four through three. That's what we've seen when Casimir has been out the <coughs> team is that players have more of a defensive function, there's less coverage behind at the number six. They play more as kind of two banks and push together and do it that way. So I think you might see even Bruno playing a lot of six, you know, coming and collecting the ball off the centre backs or the off or even off De Gea. I'm not massively against that because I do think that when Bruno gives you gives the ball away in the middle of the park it exposes you to the counter press. So I think we might see now with Scotty after this incredible little run for Scotland scoring goals and being lauded, you know, like Scotland just beat Spain, you know, and it was Scotty that scored the goals. Don't be surprised if maybe there's a little bit of a gamble there and we do see Scotty at the 10 not just this week but in weeks ahead because if he shows the manager that he can come back, hit the target, it kind of fits what Weghorst was doing in the 10, wasn't it? About the energy side of the number 10 role. And yeah, he's he's not as talented as Bruno Fernandes, but it's not really about that. It's about the team. So Newcastle will be very structured. You know, they'll give United a structured opponent to fight against. Um, Newcastle like to slow things down as well. So that actually helps McTominay and Bruno Fernandes in the centre of the park. So I would not be surprised if we see that 4-3-3, but we see that uh, that Scotty is the guy playing behind Weghorst. Can you imagine that? What a dream 9-10... Scenario that is. Veghorst and Scott McTominay. My United fans will be screaming on Twitter about that.
1: Imagine. We'll see what Anthony Martial's latest is. He has been back training for a few weeks now. Yeah. For a few weeks. weeks. Yeah. You've got to be ready. Yes. And I think this is the
2: thing with Anthony Martial. We're kind of nearly at a make or break. And I've always had patience with him. And I think that's still the right thing to do. But if you can't get fit in four weeks, Scott, when there's no games, no impacts, no problems, uh, he probably should be looking elsewhere. I I, I know United have to manage his minutes going into the final phase of the season, but we need Antti Martial fit and firing. Whatever way you look at it, we need a number nine that can put the ball in the back of the net. No offence to Vegles, because I think he's done his job admirably since he's come to the football club. And I think he gives United so much on the press and the counter press but you'd rather have Martial starting, wouldn't you, and Veghorst coming on, you know, or the other way around. At least if you've got Veghorst there, do the job, do the press for 70 minutes, let Martial come on and do all the cute stuff, you know, with the likes of maybe Sancho coming on and Nacho and your other players. Having, having real depth on your bench here, Scott, it's going to pay dividends going to the end of the campaign. If you don't have that depth, there's every chance that you get pulled into that battle for fifth, and that would be a problem.
1: Let us know, everyone, if you're listening still, uh, what you would maybe do, what you want, what you want to see in the midfield in the absence of Casemiro and Christian Ericsson. Maybe a miracle is upon us, and Christian Ericsson is ready. I doubt it, but um, Eric Ten Hag will, I'm sure, provide an update on Christian Eriksen's condition during his pre-match press conference, which comes on Friday. You might be listening to this after that has happened.
0: Wouldn't but, we'd be uh, surprised
1: to see him on the bench.
2: Scott wouldn't be surprised. If he's just on the bench and comes on for 10 minutes at the end to control a game or something like that, that could be a, a way to kind of find his way back to the United first team.
1: Yes, indeed. Uh, we'll wrap it there because we've been running. It's a, it's, a, it's a shorter show today, but more along the lines of what we should be doing. 44 minutes, 45 minutes. <laughs> uh The last few have been, even in an international break, we managed to run to close to an hour at some points, I think. But any final thoughts, Rob? No, just everything we've said there.
2: I think the Newcastle game is this is a key game for United. That's a big challenge, but ultimately you just got to make sure that you do the right things because we know what Newcastle do, and we know that Newcastle are chasing. and they, I, I, think that might actually play into United's hands on the counter press if Newcastle try and push forward to find those goals and to and to service Isak a little bit more. That might help you on the counter press. Man United haven't looked great on the counter press last few Scott. And we haven't really talked about Rashford's fitness there. We have to see if he's fit, because if he's not in the team, then it really does change the dynamic. And you're talking more about maybe Sancho being the guy or Bruno playing further forward. So let's wait and see. Big game against Newcastle United. You know, Good luck to the lads. And hopefully they can carry on this, this great season, because it has been a great season
1: so far for Man United. Subscribe to our show wherever you get your podcasts and watch us on YouTube Twice a week, Tuesdays and Fridays, we usually drop this. So subscribe on that on both platforms, on audio and video. Uh, if you would please uh, head over to the channel, like, subscribe, leave a comment for us as well. Uh, we'd love you getting, uh, getting in the comments and engaging with us. Really appreciate it. Also engaging with us on Twitter and social platforms as well underscore Scott Saunders, underscore Rob, underscore B. And at promised land, mu for the show on Twitter as well. That's it from us today. The promised land is back. Uh, or it's been here for ages, actually. Uh, the promised land will be back next next week, probably Tuesday, as we unpack what has happened uh, over the Premier League weekend and look ahead to the Brentford game and everything in between. Thanks, Rob, for this. Thanks, Rob, for participating in the podcast thanks listener for listening to the podcast i'm jumbling over my words so i think it's time to end it thanks everyone for listening we'll see you soon
0: save big on brunch for mom all in the kroger app get 16 ounce packs of flavorful angus 90 lean ground sirloin for 4.99 each with a digital coupon then buy two get two free on 12 packs of delicious coca-cola pepsi or seven up all with your card